you love Jesus? Do you love your pastor? Good, 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 good. If you would like to turn in your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 8, we're going to be there this morning. This is, uh, I had planned to start a new series this week, and as I was doing my devotions, the Lord spoke to me as I was reading a chapter in Ezekiel that I needed to share, and, and uh, so we're going to do that today, and then next week maybe we'll actually start the series that I had planned on starting. But you know, when the Lord says to do something and He pushes your agenda back, it's probably good to do that. Amen? So I want to share out of Ezekiel, and Ezekiel is a, is a prophet to Judah, and uh, he was a contemporary of Jeremiah. They were prophesying uh, together different times, different places, whatever, but together at that same time period. Um, and uh, Ezekiel chapter 8 is something where the Lord, where he gets a vision from God, and uh, God shows him some special things, and the Lord laid it on my heart to share that with you today. And it really points to a nation uh, that is, is, is facing uh, bondage, is facing judgment from God. Uh, Judah was to a place where they had rejected God for who He was and they had pursued their own desires and their own wants. And uh, really, folks, things were a mess. They had gotten a mess. And things are going to be a mess before a nation is judged as a nation. Amen. Now, right now, some of you think this has to do with politics. This morning has nothing to do with politics. It has everything to do with what the Holy Spirit laid on my heart as I was reading my devotions earlier this last week. So the Lord ministered to me and reminded me of the need, great need in our churches for the Holy Spirit and conviction. Uh, people are becoming less and less concerned with their motives and, and, and why they do things and, and, and having to I guess, face some kind of repercussion for their actions. Uh, we see that in the public scene all the time where people will break the law and if you have enough money and you have enough influence, you can get out of it. Uh, folks, listen, our nation is at a place where people don't want to hear truth. They don't want to be challenged. They don't want to be confronted. And unfortunately, it has bled over into churches. Not this one, I know that. Uh, it's bled over into a lot of the church community in America. They want to be uh, spoken of uh, nicely, they want things to. I want to feel good when I leave. We kind of treat church a little bit like uh, the Hallmark movie channel. You know what I'm saying? You know what's going to happen beginning to end, and I can leave feeling good about myself when it's over. You know what I'm talking about? But but God didn't really design His word that way. When He told Ezekiel to eat the word of God, when He's speaking to John in the book of Revelation, and He says, "Eat the scroll," and He says, "It was sweet in my mouth and bitter in my stomach." We have to receive the word in, in its fullness, which means there's sweetness and there's also bitterness with it. There's blessing and there's judgment. And, and these things are hard, I think, for people to understand. Pastor, you'll never grow a church preaching a sermon like I'm going to preach this morning. I'm not here to grow a church. I, I'm here to, to, to prophesy. I'm here to speak the truth in love and I'm here to see people grow in grace. You know, it's easy for for us to fall in the same mentality as our culture that just shrugs its shoulders and says, yeah, but God's a God of love and it's not a big deal. God's a God of love and it's not a big deal and, and it's all going to be okay until we, until we allow our consciences to be seared. We don't want to allow our consciences to get so seared that we no longer feel anything. Paul says something that we're going to be talking about in our Bible study coming up on Wednesday night here soon where he says that my conscience is clear, but that doesn't mean I'm innocent. 
He said, God is my judge in 1 Corinthians. And it's easy for us to get confused between a clear conscience and a seared conscience. Meaning we don't feel, we don't know, we've made ourselves so hardened to God that we don't even know that we've sinned against Him. So this morning, the Holy Spirit laid on my heart this, this message, and He wants to break off our compromise, He wants us to break off our complacency, and He wants us to stop chasing after trivial pursuits. Things that are trivial. Gray area things. Things that we make important that really are not important. You know what I'm saying? Amen? We could stand up here and talk about a thousand gray area things where people say, well, pastor, I know you say I shouldn't do this, but the Bible doesn't really say this. And the Bible says this. I can do this if I want to do it. I have seen too many people take up a a charge and and a plan to defend something that really, why are we pursuing that? We need to be pursuing Christ. And, and Ezekiel was in a place here where everything was trivial. And when everything becomes trivial and everything becomes a gray area and everything becomes just an opinionated and there is no clear right or wrong, what happens is, is the nation and the nation, the people around it and in it begin to go deeper and deeper into depravity. Somebody's got to stand up and call sin, sin. Somebody's got to be that voice crying out in the wilderness telling somebody to repent. Somebody's got to be able to stand up and tell the truth. And Ezekiel was one of those people. Ezekiel was called by God to do this very thing. And I want to show you a few things this morning here in Ezekiel chapter 8. If you'd look there at verse 1, we're going to see first the vision of the image of jealousy. Everybody say jealousy. The image of jealousy. Ezekiel 8 verse 1. In the sixth year, in the sixth month, on the fifth day. While I was sitting in my house and the elders of Judah were sitting before me, the hand of the sovereign Lord came upon me there. I'm going to stop right there just for a picture of what's taking place here. He's in the house and the elders of Judah were sitting in front of him. They were before him. Ezekiel was a prophet and he would speak the truth of God. Doesn't mean everybody was going to listen. Amen. We've learned that before. Just because I speak the truth doesn't mean anybody's going to listen. But out of their position and their responsibility, they're there with Ezekiel and they're hearing him and they're sitting in front of him as the Lord begins to give him a vision. Okay, and that's what's taking place. I looked and I saw a figure like that of a man. From what appeared to be his waist down, he was like fire. And from there up, his appearance was as bright as glowing metal. He stretched out what looked like a hand and took me by the hair of my head. The Spirit lifted me up between earth and heaven. And in visions of God, he took me to Jerusalem, to the entrance to the north gate of the inner court, where the idol that provokes to jealousy stood. And there before me was the glory of the God of Israel, as in the vision I had seen in the, in the plain. Then he said to me, Son of man, look towards the north. So I looked, and in the entrance north of the gate of the altar, I, was, I saw this idol of jealousy. And he said to me, Son of man, do you see what they are doing, the utterly detestable things the house of Israel is doing here, things that will drive me far from my sanctuary, but you will see things that are even more detestable than this. Ezekiel was grabbed by his hair and taken up in a vision, and the Lord begins to speak to him, and he shows him this image of jealousy, this image that was drawing God to a place of jealousy. And if you look here, I have a diagram of what Ezekiel's temple looked like in the time of Ezekiel. And he's here, and around the outer court, the Lord takes him, and he's in here in this area, and he looks back to the north. This is the north gate. And as he looks back to the north, he sees an image there, which is probably 
a Baal image or something of that nature. It doesn't really say which image it was. We know that the children of Israel, after they drove out the nations before them, the Lord said, do not do these detestable practices that the nations uh, that I drive out before you have done, or else you'll receive the same fate. And so what they did is they embraced all these other gods. And one of the most popular ones was Baal. You have connected with that all these fertility gods, Ashtaroth, Asherah, all these things, where they would make poles and idols and all these kinds of things. Whatever it was that was there, the most important part for us to understand is it was just inside that, that, that outer court of that north entrance into the temple grounds, an image, an idol, where people were worshiping openly. And God said, what, what, what matters most, doesn't matter what the image was, what matters most is, He said, this is drawing me to jealousy. Now everybody say jealousy. jealousy. You ever been jealous before? In the Old Testament, anytime you see where God, I'll never forget, I saw where Oprah in, in for, <laughs> Lord, do you want me to say it or not? Oprah Winfrey said one time when she was following this little guru guy, he's like this big, you need to follow me because I'm so smart. And Oprah said, yeah, I was in church one time and a pastor said that God is a jealous God. And I got to thinking, wow, God is jealous of me? Why, why would I serve a God that's jealous of me? Oprah, he's not jealous of you. He's jealous for you. And anytime we look in the Old Testament and we see where God is jealous, it's in reference for us to understand the kind of betrayal that we have had toward God. And it connects it to, just like in the book of Hosea, a husband with an adulterous wife. And how this husband God is now looking down and he sees his people in open adultery against him. And he says, I'm jealous. Listen, God can't be anything but God. He's omnipotent, yes, but he's also omniscient and he's always present. He sees it all. He knows it all. He can't remove himself from it. If we want to fathom and understand the feeling that God had when he said this, that this, this is enticing me to jealousy, but you're going to see more detestable things than this. This right here is enticing me to jealousy, but you're going to see worse. What's happening here is, is that we can equate this, and I don't mean to be perverted, and I don't mean to make anybody uncomfortable, but what we are seeing here is just like God saying, I am watching my wife over and over be intimate with her lover in front of me. And now, it's not only moved from somewhere in the Gentile realm, now it's not outside, but it's in my house. And it's gone beyond the outer wall, and it's now the place that was designed for intimacy between me and her is now her in this thing. Demonic gods. Starting to understand the feeling and jealousy and anger of God. He said, it's provoking me. You're standing there doing this knowing I'm watching. Folks, what is a Baal? What is a Baal? What is an idol? These things that were there was probably a fertility god. And folks, again, I don't mean to be disgusting in, in representation. 
but usually they involve things like this. They, they involve prostitution of some form. They involved openly uh, intimate sexual acts carried out in front of people with onlookers in a crowd to enjoy that pleasure. They involved, at times, forms of blood sacrifice, self-sacrifice. They, at times, involved open defecating on altars where a person would expose their nakedness and, and defecate themselves upon an altar. It involved child sacrifice. This was going on Inside the wall. This outer court, this outer court, this is taking place right in here where the same place where, where in the New Testament we see where the Jews are angry, the, the priests and the Pharisees and the scribes are angry at Paul and they're saying, hey, why are you bringing Gentiles in here when Paul hadn't brought any Gentiles in? They didn't even want any Gentiles in here. Well, who cares about the Gentiles? You got idolatry of all kinds. Trivial things. How did it get there? It became trivial. Not a big deal. It's just everybody's doing it. Nobody cares. It's just it's not a big deal. Hey, it's just this. It's just that. It's not a big deal. It's popular. You know that these, these areas, if you weren't a part of that Baal worship, there was a lot of business done there. If you were a business owner and you did business you, and you weren't a part of that group, it was going to hurt your business. Sounds a little bit like our country today, doesn't it? If you don't go to the bars with them and do the business deals, I'll never forget going and doing a, helping with a, to bid a job on my very first one. And uh, my, my boss at the time said, hey, are you uncomfortable going into this bar? And I said, I'll go wherever you want me to go. He said, good, because this is where business is done, boy. Someone drink Coke. Not Jack and Coke either. <laughs> Folks, we, we have to realize and understand that Baal worship happens today openly before God. We may not bow down to a statue, but I can tell you the, the out-of-control behaviors that are taking place around this, this idol, these orgies and these things that were taking place, happen grotesquely today. And I dare say that here in America, they've even crossed into the church. I told the first service I'm not going to connect a lot of dots for this. Y'all can do that. The Holy Spirit's powerful enough to help encourage you and, and poke and prick your heart where it needs to go. But I'm telling you folks that when it crosses into the barrier of the place of worship, that's when we know there's a problem. Oh, but wait. He says you're going to see worse things than this. And it's easy for us to say, how can it get any worse? How can it possibly get worse? But we look now and we see how it does get worse. Look at verse 7. And we see the hypocrisy of the priesthood and the leadership. Then he brought me to the entrance to the court. I looked and I saw a hole in the wall. He said to me, son of man, now dig into the wall. So I dug into the wall and saw a doorway there. And he said to me, go in and see the wicked and detestable things they are doing here. So I went in and looked and I saw portrayed all over the walls, all kinds of crawling things and detestable animals and all the idols of the house of Israel. In front of them stood 70 elders of the house of Israel. Jezaniah, son of Shaphan, was standing among them. He each had a censer in his hand, and a fragrant cloud of incense was rising. He said to me, Son of man, have you seen what the elders of the house of Israel are doing in the darkness? 
each at the shrine of his own idol. They say, the Lord does not see us. The Lord has forsaken the land. Again, he said, you will see them doing things that are even more detestable. He walks into the court. He's there. And the Lord takes him over to this wall. And he says, there's a hole here. These places where the, the, the leaders and the elders would live while they were serving in different things. And he says, look, there's a hole, there's an opening there. And he said, I want you to begin to, begin to tear it open. And he begins to peel back the plaster and whatever's there. And he, as he tears it back, a door appears there. And, and the Lord says, go in and see what's taking place. And he goes in and he sees these priests, these leaders, these elders, worshiping in private. The very things that others were worshiping in public. They were burning incense. The leader of the, 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 I guess you would say the president of the council, whatever, was pointed out and called out. These men were worshiping pictures, but folks, listen to me. <laughs> it doesn't matter whether it's a picture or if it's the real idol. It's still inappropriate. I'm still getting a ring down here. If you could drag me down a little bit more. This, it's still wrong. Amen? You can look, but you can't touch, right? Remember hearing that as a kid? Anybody else ever hear that as a kid? It's okay to look, you just can't touch. That's not true. Because Jesus said, if you so much as look at a woman with lust, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. Amen? You've already committed adultery with her in, her heart, in your heart. So in other words, the adultery has already begun whether it's been acted out or not. And these people, these righteous men of God, would maybe publicly condemn what's taking place out there and shake their heads and say, well, I would never behave like that, or well, that's awful, or this is, I can't believe. But yet when they went inside and nobody was seen, when they were afraid of people, they could protect their, their, uh, their, their identity and they would hide themselves in a room and do the very same lewd acts that others were doing. Hypocrisy. You say, Pastor, wow, you're hammering yourself. You're the only pastor in the room. Uh, no, I'm not. Pastor Zach's in here with me. Number two, <laughs> all of us in Christ Jesus have been made kings and priests, have we not? Amen. Have we not? Are we not the leaders outside of these temple walls? Are we not the ones in our communities that, that should be the voice crying out in the wilderness? Are we not the ones that should be the, the ones that are leading our, our families to Christ? If we are, then we need to evaluate ourselves. If we're shaking our heads in public and behaving the same way in private, we have to realize that it is more detestable than even those lost people who were doing it publicly. This is not one of those feel-good messages, is it? This is not one of those Hallmark Channel messages, is it? Man... Gosh, Lord. It's easy to become accustomed to the idolatry around us. And it's easy to make it a trivial thing. It's easy to make it as though we have an option to partake. And to behave as the world behaves. But folks, we've got to stop our trivial pursuits. And I'm not just talking about that game that I consistently beat my wife in. I do! You think that I don't. And you know what my wife says about me? She says, you have so much, what, what, is, what is the unnest knowledge? What is it? Useless. She says, you have so much useless knowledge. 
that game Trivial Pursuit, you have to know stupid things. And I'm like, oh, well, that's what she's like. How'd you know? Did you see that? I'm like, no, I know that. And then I commenced to tell her why. She's like, why do you know that? I'm like, I don't know why I know that. You've got so much useless knowledge. Apparently, it's not too useless. I just won the game. <laughs> that kind of trivial pursuit, we, we don't, those are fun. But the trivial pursuits that are destroying us and our nation, we got to stop it. We got to stop playing with sin. We got to stop trying to make excuses and give ourselves approval to behave in a worldly way. We've got to begin to pursue Christ harder then we're pursuing the world. So many people are wanting to be accepted in so many ways. And this was a lust for idols and a lust for things. It was not only near the temple, it was within these hidden rooms. And we need to make sure that we are not chambering ourselves into our homes and pushing Christ out of our homes because we have rooms full of idolatrous worship. They made themselves priests to their own demonic gods. And then they said this blasphemous thing against God. They said, the Lord does not see us. The Lord has forsaken us. In other words, they're saying, why, why, does it matter? why does it matter if we do this? Because God has already forsaken us first. Have you ever known somebody that was hurt by the church? Something didn't go right the first time. And they said, you know what? Who cares about God? That stuff ain't real. He hurt me. I'm done with God. God forsook me, so I forsake Him. It's a, it, when the leadership gets like that, you're ripe for judgment. That's what's happened in Israel. Things didn't go the way they wanted, so they were angry at God. Back in the book of Jeremiah, I'll probably talk about this another time in a different way, but in the book of Jeremiah, when I was reading through it, the, the, the people had been baking and, and uh, offering bread to the, the queen of heaven, is what it said. And things had gone right, according to them, until they stopped Offering sacrifice to the queen of heaven. Jeremiah is telling them, repent, repent. You're going to go into bondage. Repent. God's going to exile you. And they said, you know what? I remember back when I was just living however I wanted to live. And I was just baking bread for the queen of heaven. Uh, you know, things were pretty good back then. God doesn't seem to be working out very good because it's nothing but one big hard struggle. I think I'm just going to go back to baking bread for the queen of heaven. It's a trivial thing. It's not a big deal to them. Is this serious? Is it not serious? Folks, we have to make sure that we don't turn back and go after our Baal worship and we don't turn back and we don't go into private places to worship in ways that we aren't seen. Listen, wickedness happens under the cover of darkness. Wickedness happens outside of the eyes of others who are looking on. Wickedness, uh, wickedness will be done in private so as we don't destroy ourselves publicly. Folks, listen though. It is already destroying us. We have got to repent of our secret practices. And the only reason I'm doing this today, the only reason the Lord prompted me to do this is because this stuff is at the door of the church. We have got to get ourselves under control. But the Lord, oh, don't, hold on. The Lord said, don't worry, you're going to see worse things. You're going to see something more detestable than open, open sin in the public I had my suit cleaned, and it's got a little tag thing hanging on it. You can, sorry, I get distracted sometimes. There's worse things than, than public displays like that. There's worse things than, 
than, than private sinning hypocrites. What are they? The depravity we see here of both the men and women of Judah. Verse 14. Then he brought me to the entrance to the north gate of the house of the Lord, and I saw women sitting there mourning for Timaz. He said to me, do you see this, son of man? You will see things that are even more detestable than this. Now some of you say, who is Timaz? Timaz, I just can't leave that thing alone. Got it. Who is Tamuz? Tamuz, I don't know. Nobody really knows. They speculate it was for either for Adonis, an idol uh, among the Greeks, or for Osiris, an idol uh, of the Egyptians where they shed tears. Basically what this is, Tamuz, uh, this was a whole horrible, tragic love story gone wrong. Where a lover dies, and so Tamuz now must weep for all of eternity. And these women will come out there and they would put themselves on the ground and weep for Tammuz. And this was taking place right here by the north entrance as it goes into the inner court, right in this area. Taking place right there. The women are bowing down and worshiping and crying for this idol. You say, Pastor, what's the big deal? They're praying and and crying out until this idol would shed tears itself. And once it would shed tears, they would rejoice that now and celebrate that Tammuz was alive again so that Tammuz could have their lover. Folks, what this is connected to is again more fertility. It's connected toward uh, open, blatant sexual behavior. It's open to women prostituting themselves and all of these things. That's what it's connected to. But the point in this is, is that the women of that time had given themselves over to a tragic love story and had stolen the worship of the temple because they were more interested in shedding tears of this tragic love story and giving themselves over to it and then giving themselves to a man than they were about coming to the temple with rejoicing, coming to the temple with the sound of the flute and the lyre, coming to the, the, the temple sounding the alarm and the trumpet and the horn and celebrating. What happened to that? One, where there was once supposed to be joy and celebration, there's now weeping. You see how the enemy is? See, some of us are so bogged down and burdened and so distraught by trivial things. And we carry them into the temple with us. And we leave not feeling better because we're more concerned about who's with this person and who's doing that and -and so-and-so said this and -and so-and-so's doing this. And I just looked at Facebook when this happened. Pastor was preaching and I did this and when I was looking at Facebook and this. Can you believe what she said? We're all caught up in everybody else's business. We are weeping. Folks, we... Why do we involve ourselves in everybody else's business? Somebody tell me. Somebody know? Anybody know why? Anybody? Anybody? Anybody know why? I don't know why. We've got we've to stop it. It's trivial. Get out of it. If we would pursue God, I've always said this, if I'd put my face in the book more than I put my face in Facebook, I'd be a lot better off. Folks, listen, we've got to be careful because we get caught up in drama and everybody else's stuff. What blows me away, what blows me away is when adults act like seventh graders. Sometimes dating so-and-so, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so-and-so. I can't believe what she said. You know what she said about you? Well, she said you said this about me. Well, I did, but I was just doing it trying to cover up. I don't want her to know that I feel that way, but oh my gosh, I feel that way. Listen, man, quit weeping for Tammuz and go and pursue Christ. 
Get out of the drama. Let go of the, the tragic love story that makes you emotional and move the stink on. Amen? But the Lord said, you're going to see worse things than this. Can you imagine that? The, the weeping for Tammuz was worse than a, a priest hidden inside of a chamber sinning. And it was worse than open worship before Baal. And now he takes us to the, to the worst thing. And folks, probably the reason why is because it's steps of location. And you're going to see that here in just a second. Now he addresses the men in verse 16. He then brought me into the inner court of the house of the Lord. And there at the entrance to the temple between the portico and the altar were about 25 men with their backs towards the temple of the Lord and their faces towards the east. They, are, they were bowing down to the sun in the east. They were inside the inner court between the altar and the door. Twenty-five men who walked in and stood with their back to the temple and faced the altar and bowed down to the sun. You see, when you go in and, and sacrifice is given, that takes place right here on this side of the altar. The sacrifice was given and the smoke's going up and all of the stuff takes place from there on. Ministry forward by the priest goes into the, the Holy of Holies from that place forward. It always goes facing the temple into God. Worship is done. Sacrifice is done facing God. God's open door facing God. Worship was done. What these men did is instead of standing there and looking at the temple through the smoke and the heat and you know how heat goes up and, and it makes things look kind of disordered and shaky and that smoke going up. Instead of sacrificing toward God, they turned their backs and they faced east and they now began to worship and sacrifice toward the sun. You say, what's wrong with that? Men, leaders, God-ordained leaders of their home, of the community, turn their backs on Him in, in, in the most intimate place they could possibly be. And faced nature and natural things and sacrificed to them. Were they in church? Well, yeah. It was as much a church as they could be in right there. Turn their backs on God. Do you know it's possible to attend a church service and you may be facing me and you may be somewhat your ears picking up the message, but you can be here and be as absolutely obstinate and back turn on the Holy Spirit as you can possibly be. Men in our culture have a tendency to come and go from church. They say it's a place for women. We're in the middle of deer season getting started here. You know, that's a place for men is out in the woods. Drug, I drug a deer back to the woods the other day, got hit by a car, hooked on it with my four-wheel and drug it down over the hill for the coyotes to eat. I did that. It just sounds more manly when I say it in that voice. <laughs> got, hit by, got hit by a car, I'd drag it back over to Coyote's eat. Guys, we have a tendency to worship natural things. Turn our backs on God. We exalt our kids' sports in the summer. We exalt our kids' sports in the fall, in the winter, in the spring. We exalt our work. We exalt uh, whether it be hunting or fishing or other things. I'm not saying those things inherently evil, but that's what we sacrifice for. That's what we spend our money on. It's what we spend our time on. That's what our minds are consumed with. 
when these things start moving into the temple and are trivial things and acceptable and it's okay to come to church and worry about whether or not the Colts are going to win the game afterward. First of all, let me be a prophet. No. They're awful. Absolutely horrible. And the Packers aren't that great this year either. They're not that good. See how easy it is? Folks, we get so consumed with everything else, don't we? Don't we? Don't we get consumed with everything else? And before long, our eyes are completely turned away from God. How how many times have we watched the news and and waited for sport? How many times have we guys turned on ESPN to get updates? How many times have we turned on NFL Network? Or how many times did we, how many hours did we spend watching the World Series last week? And how much time did we spend in the Word of God? Really, that's, that's an ignorant question, isn't it? It's easy for us, again, not that those things are inherently evil. It's just how easily our attention is changed. Just like that little thing in my cuff. What? Folks, we have got to repent. Why? Because Revelation 18.5 says this about Babylon. It says her sins are piled up to heaven and God has remembered her crimes. And this message and this vision for Ezekiel, the sins of the people had reached clear up to his doorstep. And he said, I am not going to contend with these people anymore. He talked about removing himself from the sanctuary. And it's impossible for God to remove himself out of us or out of this place because God is God and he's in everything and through everything. But what he will do is he will not manifest himself. He will not speak to them and he will not hear their cries and he will not hear their prayers until they genuinely repent. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be in a silent church where God's not speaking. Verses 17 and 18 in closing. He said to me, have you seen this son of man? Is it a a trivial matter? For the house of Judah to do the detestable things they are doing here, must they also fill the land with violence and continually provoke me to anger? Look at them putting the branch to their nose. Therefore, I will deal with them in anger. I will not look on them with pity or spare them, although they shout in my ears, I will not listen to them. Is it, is it a trivial thing to celebrate openly the worldliness that's taking place around us? Like Baal worship. Is it trivial to allow ourselves to worship these things in private in our own homes? Is it trivial for us to be caught up and consumed with the tragic love story instead of the love story of our Heavenly Father, God, toward His bride, the church? Is it it a trivial thing for us to be caught up in all kinds of worldly activities and forget about turning and we turn our backs on the very One who has saved us from the pit of hell? These are not trivial matters. When, when worldly things or worldly pleasures or uh, recreation or things of that nature become things that divide us and separate us from God, they are no longer trivial, my friend. It is sin. And the Lord has called us today to a place of repentance because He's not going to listen to us in our sinful practice if we continue in it. Then He is not going to have pity on us and He is not going to listen to us in in our prayers and our crying if we continue on in our sin. A cry of tears without repentance is worthless. 
You've changed nothing. All you've done is you've treated God like He's a psychologist, psychiatrist, therapist, whatever. You come and cry on His couch and you leave feeling better about yourself. But nothing's changed. There's got to be a transformation inside of our lives done through the power of the Holy Spirit. But I want you to know there is hope. Even in Ezekiel 18, further into the book, the Lord speaks hope to him. And He says this in verse 25 through verse 32. He says, Yet you say, The way of the Lord is not just. Hear, O house of Israel, is my way unjust? Is it not your ways that are unjust? If a righteous man turns from his righteousness and commits sin, he will die for it. Because of the sin he has committed, he will die. But if, if, if a wicked man turns away from the wickedness he has committed and does what is just and right, he will save his life. Because he considers all the offenses he has committed and turns away from them, he will surely live, he will not die. Yet the house of Israel says, the way of the Lord is not just. Are my ways unjust, O house of Israel? Is it not your ways that are unjust? Therefore, O house of Israel, I will judge you. Each one according to his ways, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent, turn away from all your offenses, then sin will not be your downfall. Rid yourselves of all the offenses you have committed and get a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent and live. Repent and live. For far too long, the children of God have only come so far. We've, we, we, we allow the Lord to touch us and save us. But we hang on to so many other things. Those things become sinful. Those things become idolatrous. Those Folks, repent. 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 Is that not the message? Is that not the message of the prophets? Is that not the message of John the Baptist when he stood by the river and he was baptizing? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus then went on to baptize and repent and teach repentance. Folks, it's not an old thing. It's still current. We need to repent. If you are genuinely sorry for your sins, it must be followed by repentance. If it's not followed by repentance, then you weren't genuinely sorry for your sins. You're just sorry you got caught. I used to have that conversation with my son all the time. I'm sorry, Dad. If you're really sorry, it wouldn't keep happening. Amen? You're not sorry. It just happened again. You just told me yesterday you were sorry and did the same thing today. That's not sorry. Folks, we've all been there. We tell God we're sorry and then we do it again. That's not sorry. The scripture talks about how we need godly sorrow and how godly sorrow produces a repentance that will not be repented of. That when I turn away from this, I will not go back to it because I was truly, genuinely, godly sorrow in my spirit saying, wow, I've wronged God. I openly committed adultery in front of his eyes. I thumbed my nose in his face. I hid myself in a room and did the same thing. I got caught up in worldliness. Oh God, I'm sorry. There's a need for godly conviction in the church today. There's not enough conviction. When you have people coming and going from church and they're never changed, it's because there's not enough conviction. My prayer for today is, is God convict those that need to be convicted so that they'll have godly sorrow and that they'll repent. Myself included. Amen. Will you bow your heads with me?